0: listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit brockportfirstbaptist.org. From the Lord's prayer, we go to the prayer of Mary in the book of Luke. If you'd like to follow along, it's chapter 1 Verses 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. to Abraham and to his descendants forever.
1: Good morning again, everyone. So a bit of housekeeping before we dive in. Lori mentioned earlier that this Thursday there's a group of us that are going to go Christmas caroling. We've had about 10 or 12 people sign up or express interest, so we're going to have quite a group. Um, So if you're available this Thursday afternoon, Uh, We'd love to have you with us. And then also next Sunday is going to be our choir Christmas cantata, and we are going to be gorging ourselves on Christmas cookies afterwards. Um, So if you would like to bake up a batch of cookies, um, we would welcome them, Um, and you can sign up for both caroling and cookie baking at the Connection Center. And then last but not least, this is going to be my last sermon for a few weeks. Um, With the cantata next Sunday, there's no sermon. And then I'm taking two weeks off uh, after Christmas. Um, but we're going to have some awesome people filling in in the pulpit. And then Pastor Nicole from Ogden Baptist Church is going to be on call for any uh, pastoral emergencies that happen. So I just want to give you a heads up about that coming down the pike um, after Christmas. Our sermon today is on Mary's song, which is traditionally called the Magnificat. Uh, we've been looking at Mary's story for the last couple weeks. We talked about the angel coming to Mary and announcing the birth of Jesus. Uh, Last week, we looked at the story of Mary and Elizabeth, and this week, we're looking at Mary's song. If you've ever read this portion of the Bible, you might have noticed that Mary's song kind of interrupts the flow of the story. Uh, The narrative's moving along with Mary and the angel and Elizabeth, but then it all comes to a stop when Mary starts singing this song. It's kind of like that moment in a musical where, like, something happens on stage and then everyone stops what they're doing and they start singing and dancing, usually talking about whatever just happened uh, in the story. That's exactly what's going on here. Mary's song brings the narrative to a halt to give her interpretation of all that's transpired. The beginning of this song makes a lot of sense. My soul magnifies the Lord— My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It's very personal. It's very much tied to what's just happened. Mary's emphasizing her lowliness and all that God has just announced and how God has blessed her and how great God is. But then in verse 50, there's a shift. The camera kind of zooms out from Mary's story and we get a much bigger perspective on everything and it's pretty dramatic. Starting in verse 50, God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. That's a pretty drastic shift. Like Mary just found out she's having a baby, right? So what's with all this stuff about scattering the proud, bringing down the rich, and lifting up the lowly? Why does Mary's song get so political? It's helpful to know some of what was going on in the world, some of, like, the political background to this moment. The story of Israel is basically the story of a people being conquered over and over again by bigger, tougher, stronger empires. First, Israel was conquered by the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, and by the time this story is happening, it was the Romans who were oppressing God's people. Prior to Roman rule, um, the Jews actually had an independent kingdom. For about 100 years, in between the Greeks and the Romans, uh, there was a kingdom reestablished in Judea, and the Jews kind of ran the show for a while. And at this point in the story, it had only been 40 years since the Romans came in and cleaned house, which means that there are people alive in Mary's day who remember that kingdom. They remember an independent Jewish rule. Mary's parents probably told her stories of when their people cast off the yoke of their Greek overlords and restored God's kingdom in the land. Mary was from Galilee. We've talked about Galilee a little bit. It was uh, this, this uh, very rural, poor, untamed region in the north of the country. And when the Romans took over, Galilee was actually the last Chunk of the country to fall to Roman rule. For about 50 years, actually, there was an armed underground insurgency trying to drive out the Romans. And that all came into a head in the year 6 AD, not long after this story, when there was an armed revolt in the Galilee that was sparked when the Romans tried to take a census. Now, this was a different census than the one that sent, you know, Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. But there are some obvious political overtones here. It strikes a nerve to begin the gospel story with a census in the Galilee. That would have set things off. That would occlude people into this is a story about revolution. Mary and her people dreamed of the day when all that the prophets have said would come true. When God would fulfill his promises to their ancestors and send a king, a Messiah, to overthrow the the oppressors and establish God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That was the gospel before the gospel. That's what the good news looked like 30 weeks before Bethlehem, 30 years before the cross. As Christians, we usually think about the gospel being very personal, being primarily about Jesus and all that Jesus did to reconcile us with God, and that's right. That's absolutely correct. But that's one piece of a much larger perspective that the people at this time would have had and what they were expecting, what they were waiting for. Mary's song gives us a glimpse of what the good news looked like before the time of Jesus. Salvation was always about being reconciled with God, but it also carried these political and economic and social ramifications. In the Old Testament, we find a lot of parallels to Mary's song. The closest is probably Hannah's song from 1 Samuel 2. Now, Hannah was this lady who was having a hard time getting pregnant, kind of like Elizabeth in our story last week. And she promised God that if God gave her a son, she would dedicate him to the Lord's service. And her son Samuel became one of the most important prophets and leaders in Israel's history. He's got two books in the Bible named after him. I only have one, so you kind of, it's a joke. Sorry, not very funny. Um, But Samuel was a pretty big deal. And when Samuel was born, the narrative of 1 Samuel stops. And Hannah breaks into song. It'll be on the screen. See if this sounds familiar. My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one beside you, no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry are fat with spoil. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Do you see the parallels there? The reversal of fates. When God shows up, the mighty are brought down, the rich are made empty, and the poor are lifted up. Mary is part of this same tradition. The Old Testament belief found with Hannah and the prophets That reconciliation with God brought social and political consequences. Unless we think that, you know, Jesus did away with all that. Jesus made the gospel more spiritual. Let's look at some of what Jesus had to say about this stuff. Because it's kind of jarring if you actually think about what he's saying. Here's a quote of Jesus from Matthew 19, starting at verse 23. This is after he meets the rich young ruler. Truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. If That doesn't scare you. It scares me pretty bad. <laughs> that's, uh, that's serious stuff. Luke 6, this is another teaching from Jesus. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. And if you think that's bad, James, Jesus' brother, you know, Mary's other kid he's even worse and I just want to I know I'm reading a lot of Bible passages to you but I just want to read this from James 5. Come now you rich people weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you your riches have rotted your clothes are moth eaten your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be evidence against you and it will eat your flesh like fire you have laid up treasure for the last days. Listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters reach the ears of the Lord of hosts. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Just, that's, not, that's not the end. That's not the end. That's pretty intense, though, right? Like, that's, that's rough. I want to kind of like. Just take James aside and be like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. Mary's sons learned a lot from their mom. They really internalized the songs their mother would sing to them. They took them far more seriously than I think many of us do today. So what are we supposed to do with all this? What does all this talk of bringing down the rich and lifting up the lowly mean, for those of us who, at least on a global scale, are relatively well-off, relatively blessed, relatively wealthy, comfortable. Well, before any of you take up arms and try to start an actual revolution, pump the brakes on that, and notice that Mary doesn't call for the powerful to be brought down by force. That was already going on. There was already an armed insurgency at this time, propagating the idea that we needed to to make this all happen ourselves through violence. There's nothing new to that message. That message has been around forever. Rather than calling for a violent revolution, Mary praises God for already bringing the revolution about. She's talking as as if all this has already happened. Look at the tense of the verbs in her song. It's not the proud will be scattered. It's the proud have been scattered. The powerful have been brought down. The lowly have been lifted up. Which is kind of crazy, right? I mean, at this point, the Romans are still in charge. Even today, the powerful still exploit the powerless. The rich are still getting richer. So what's Mary talking about? Mary understood that hope makes things happen. We tend to think of the present as the outcome of the past. It's like what happens today is determined by what happened yesterday, and what happens tomorrow is gonna depend on what happens today. We think about time very linearly, past, present, future. But Mary's song and the news of the Messiah's arrival flips that on its head. It's actually the future we're heading toward that determines where we're at now. God's people are supposed to live and operate in light of the future of God's kingdom. It's like we're in on the joke. The promised Messiah is coming, which means that time's up for those in power. And God is the one who's going to bring it all crashing down. Now, generally speaking, there are two ways this can play out. One is really, really bad for us. (laughs) The other's a lot better. So let's start with the bad, and then we'll work our way uh, to the better, the gooder, the more good option. Sometimes God does bring the powerful down with force. The Babylonians were conquered and destroyed by the Persians. The Persians were conquered by the Greeks. The Greeks fell to Rome. Whoever the big, bad, tough guy is on the global scene today, there's always someone bigger, badder, and tougher lurking around the corner. When Jesus says that violence begets violence, this is part of what he's getting at. Just look at what happened to those in power at the time of Jesus. It's pretty alarming King Herod, the one who tried to kill Jesus as a baby, died a terrible death just a few years later. Pontius Pilate, who washed his hands of Jesus and sentenced him to be crucified, he was sentenced to die himself less than a decade later by the emperor in Rome. And the temple authorities, the religious leaders who conspired against Jesus and persecuted the early church, By the time Luke's gospel was written, their temple was in rubble, and they'd been driven out of the land. Violence begets violence. If you play the game of power and domination, if you join in the rat race, if you try to accumulate more, crush the competition, get ahead by any means necessary, it'll eat you alive. That's how that game works. And that's why Jesus didn't play that game. That brings us to option two. The good news for those of us willing to hear it. There's another way this whole reversal thing can work out. It's a lot less violent, but it's no less difficult. And it's the way of life modeled by the church in the book of Acts. I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 4. This is a description of the early church. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it all at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each... As they had need. If the church is doing what it's supposed to be doing, it should result in the poor being lifted up and the rich being brought down because they're in community with each other. The rich and poor suddenly have a stake in the other's welfare. This vision of the church laid out in Acts fulfills the prophetic word of Mary's song. And it gives us all a decision. We can play the game of power and greed until it eats us alive. Or we can follow the example of the first Christians and ensure that there are no needy people among us because everyone in our community has gotten what they need. When we sing Christmas carols to shut-ins, or bring cookies to share with our friends in church, when we give a free meal to hungry people in our community, or help lower-income families do Christmas for their kids, it's not just about charity. It's the gospel. It's the gospel before the gospel. We don't do these things as some kind of separate, tangential, additional thing to the real business of saving souls. They're linked. When we help those around us, when we bring up the lowly and elevate the poor, we're putting the gospel into practice. We're showing the world what God's kingdom looks like. So may we internalize the message of Mary's song. May we make the right choice in how we steward the power That we've all been given may we respond to this gospel before the gospel and take the spirit of giving and generosity that is so prevalent at christmas time and make it a part of our lives and our faith every single day of the year amen
0: thanks for listening